you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. of the Lord today. I want to take your attention to the word of the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want to mention that we are sliding back toward normal schedules. We have service in Lebanon at 2 o'clock today. If you can be there, I know you will be blessed. We have a special guest with us today, a brand new preacher. You've watched him in and out and grow up around here visiting with our young people brother Jonathan Reading is going to be preaching in Lebanon today and we're excited about that and then we're going to be back here at 6 o'clock for a special youth service this evening and our very own brother Brandon Newcomer is going to be preaching for us tonight we're expecting God to do great things amen 1 Samuel chapter 16, lengthily reading, beginning with verse number 6. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen him. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? 
And he said, no, there's, there's one that remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send forth and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. By the help of the Lord today, I am going to preach a message that the Lord has been burning in my spirit for several days. I'm going to preach a subject titled, Make Room for Grace. Make Room for, for Grace. Regardless what you see in men, regardless how many faults you see in others or you see in yourself, be careful not to cast judgment on other people or upon yourself. Because except for the grace of God, we would all be walking in the same shoes. Always make room for grace. God help me today to preach what you have placed in my spirit and burned into my heart. I pray, God, that your word is anointed as it comes forth. And the hearts and minds and ears of the listener today will receive what you are saying. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Speak to your neighbor and tell them let's make room for grace. David was a man of destiny. When he begins examining, when one begins examining the life of David, we find a man who ended his life well. But between a lad tending sheep on a hillside and the king in the palace that was graciously used by God, David's life was full of humanity. But God always makes room for humanity. And he calls it grace. David comes on the scene as a shepherd boy whom God took from the sheepfold eventually to end up dwelling in the palace. This man, David, was called by God. He was ordained for greatness. Even when nobody else was mindful of him, God had his eye on David. David eventually became a man that was dear to God's own heart. The first time David is mentioned in Scripture was in Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. And again, prior to the time that he was anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Then after David's anointing or proverbial calling of God to do great things for God. And the time of David operating in his calling and under the influence of the anointing of God that was upon his life were many years that were filled with tending sheep and many years that were 
filled with failure. Today, it seems in this society, everybody wants to be the giant killer. That's what brings fame. Everybody wants to be the one that everybody sees and recognizes. Everybody wants to be the one that is able to kill a lion and a bear and a giant and become a famous king and become a man after God's own heart. But they want to get there without years of faithful service on the hillside of sheep tending. David wasn't called from the pulpit or from the tabernacle. David was called from his place of employment. David working faithfully in his father's field. One could imagine why that he would have been so easily overlooked by most men, even by his own father. He is but a lad, his father says. He's not one that is trained. He's not one of physical stature. But he was never overlooked by God. Samuel asked Jesse, do you have a son? One of them is going to be anointed king. The proud Jesse undoubtedly responded to Samuel with calm assurance, yes, here are my sons. I'll bring you my oldest. I will show him to you. Isn't he handsome? Isn't he a man of great countenance? Isn't he a man that's well qualified? But no, it wasn't the most qualified. It wasn't the one with the greatest physical appearance. It wasn't the one that was the most likely to succeed. Here's Abinadab, here's Eliab, here's Shema, here's Ozam, and he goes through all of the sons of Jesse. All of these sons, I could hear the father say, they've all been trained, they're all ready to be men of war, they're all ready to lead. Surely one of these men is destined to become the next king of Israel. But Samuel, the man of God, was hearing the voice of the Lord. And he said, is there not yet another son? Because God said that he would come from the house of Jesse. But I am not yet, although I have viewed your sons and I have talked to each of them and they've all stood before me, but the Lord has refused every one of them. I'm not finding one that God says will be the next king. Reluctantly, Samuel says, well, yes. Jesse says to Samuel, well, yes, I, I have another I have another son, but he's certainly not the one that you're looking for. He's not skilled like his brothers. He's not trained like his brothers. He doesn't have the same countenance. He's not a man of war. He's not a man of great stature. He's not the most socialized. 
you got to understand, man of God, he's on the backside of a desert. He's tending sheep. He's never, he doesn't even know how to conduct himself. If I call him in before you, he would never be the one most likely to succeed and certainly not the one to eventually become the king of Israel. His name is David. He is but a lad. His life will be filled with flaws and failures. He doesn't have anything about life figured out yet. He just keeps failing. And I keep sending him back to the sheepfold where he can try to learn his lessons because of his failure. He's but a lad. Then Samuel looks and says, bring him to me. I'm not even going to sit down until you get him here. Don't delay getting him here because God has always chosen people that their lives are full of faults and failures. Their lives may be filled with disappointments and people may say they're never going to make it. But God says, bring him, bring him. I want to see him. I want to meet him. David walks in from the field. He smelled like sheep. Surely God wouldn't promote such a lad that smelled like sheep to become the next king of Israel. But yes, Jesse, God says that is him. Samuel, the man of God, took a horn of oil and began to pour it upon David, anointing him to be the next king of Israel. Here is where the story gets so interesting. Not only was he the one that was the least likely to be the man that humanity would thought would think it would be, that was anointed to be king. But after he received his anointing, the anointing was designed by God. It was witnessed by the man of God. But David was sent back to the shepherd's field to tend sheep. Wait a second, Pastor. I know I'm anointed of the Lord. I know I've been called to do great exploits. Too often, I believe we ask God, when is my break coming? When is my promotion going to happen? Pastor, don't you see how anointed I am? Don't you know how gifted I am? Yes, son, I do. That's why you've got to go tend sheep because you've got some growing to do. Even Jesus himself steps on the scene at 13 years of age and then they don't see him again. He, the scripture never mentions him from the time that he is a lad in the temple until he begins his ministry at 30. Where was Jesus during all of those years between 13 and 30. Uh, Luke 2 and 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It was the same place that David was. When David was tending sheep, he was in a position of growth and learning and preparation for what was going to change the world. David was never changed by the, trained by the top soldiers. He didn't rub shoulders with those who could promote him. Instead, David sent without training, 
without anyone to tell him what to do, without anyone to give direction to him, the Lord opened my eyes to some things. I've often longed and wanted and wished that I had that person that would direct me and tell me what I should do. My wife and I have talked about it, and then I saw the life of David with nobody to train him on a hillside, with nobody to tell him what he ought to do. And then I see a man by the name of Moses that was also sent to a Midian desert to tend sheep. What in the world is God trying to say? David's on a tending sheep on a hillside. David's fight with the lion and the bear were not to give him awards at being a mighty hunter. He was not going to receive a new medal of honor. He was not going to move to a new level. But those battles were preparing him for yet a greater battle with a giant that is called Goliath. But Goliath wasn't even David's greatest fight. He was simply preparing him for an even greater fight. And the greatest fight that David was going to ever fight was the, was the battle of failure. David had to fight the fight of failure in his mind. But eventually, David was going to do great exploits. Sometimes the battles in your life are not so you can get so you can get it behind you so that you can walk in complete victory. But sometimes God expects the battle to be to prepare you for the next battle, to prepare you for the next battle. And you're saying, God, why in the world is it one lion and then one bear and then one giant and then a failure? What in the world are you doing, God? And God is saying, I'm preparing you for something that nobody would have ever expected out of you. I am preparing you to a higher place. Can I get a little bit of monitor? I'm about to preach my voice out here. Can I tell you this morning, thank you, can I tell you this morning that God knew you before you were ever formed. He already established His plans and His purpose in your life even before you were ever conceived. God had perfected His work in you before you even realized what He was doing. God had preordained you far ahead of time. He said to Samuel, for I have provided myself a king among the sons of Jesus. Jesse, that man, pastor, what do you mean? Are you telling me that God can use him? Pastor, surely you don't mean that God could use me. Surely, man of God, you don't believe that God could put an anointing on my life. Have you seen my life with failures? Have you seen my life with faults? Have you seen my life? I even walk strange. I even look strange. I even, people look at me and would never, ever believe that God could do anything in my life. I rise to this pulpit today to remind somebody that man may look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Can I go deeper? 
when you walk in the grace and divine favor of God, when you carry a generational anointing, people will look down on you. You will be left out of the crowd. Even your closest friends and your family may walk away from you and despise you. But hey, you're in good company. Joseph's brothers hated him and envied him. Jephthah's brothers ostracized him. David's brothers looked down on him. Jesus' brothers even doubted him. Listen to me, friend of mine. It's part of the process that God is taking you through. Moreover, you don't need the approval of men to make full proof of your ministry. All you need is for God to find you working in the field and to pour his anointing on you. David was relegated to the background, left to feed sheep in the wilderness. Moses, the great leader of God's people, was also relegated to tending sheep for 40 years on the backside of a desert. But there on the backside of the desert, he found God there. God appeared to him at the most inopportune time, at the very strangest of ways. A bush begins to burn and it was not being consumed. He stands looking. Here he is, unsocialized on the backside of a Midian desert, watching a bush burn, but the leaves are not being consumed. What in the world? All of a sudden, the voice of God thunders out of heaven and says, take off your shoes, Moses. You are standing on the holy ground. I believe that would have been all it took to get my attention, but I'm coming to preach to somebody this morning. If God appears unto him at a moment that he never would have dreamed that God God would appear unto him or in the way that he would have ever thought God would ever appear unto him you're alright child of God stay alone with him don't be in a hurry to launch out stay in the place of your calling God is going to find you and you're going to find God right in the field of labor and working where you might not be in a desired place that you thought you would be but hold on while you trust God even Eventually, he will fulfill his promise. God is preparing you for his service and for purposeful living while you're waiting. Let me give you some instruction this morning. While you're waiting on God, take time in your personal growth. Do your business diligently. Cultivate a lifestyle of discipline and responsibility. Spiritual responsibility will place you in high demand. It's the bedrock on which every successful life and every successful ministry is birthed. Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse specifically for the purpose of anointing David. This anointing made the difference in David's life. He had previously been chosen by God in our text, but now he needed the anointing. Samuel came all the way from Ramah for this very purpose. His anointing launched David into a new realm of great exploits and spiritual insights. Let me remind you today that Jesus called you to be the light 
of the world and the salt of the earth. If you have been called by God, and everybody say, I am. If you have been called by God, everybody say, I am. If you have been called by God, everybody say, I've been called. Let me remind you that if Jesus called you to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, you have been called by God for a specific purpose, to do something that nobody else can do. Don't try to be a carbon copy of somebody else. Don't try to act like somebody else, walk like somebody else, or pray like somebody else. You let God use you to advance his kingdom in the way that only you can. You are anointed. You may have lived your life on the backside of a desert tending sheep but God sees greatness in you destiny beckons you the seed of greatness lies within you but between that anointing and David becoming the king was a lifetime of failure and missteps but God always made room for humanity and he called it grace for those of you who think that you deserve elevation you're dismissed you're welcome to go ahead and beat us all to the restaurants but for those of you who recognize that the only way that God's going to ever be able to use you is going to be because his grace shines upon you, then you are in a room today that is in very good company. God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for somebody who will be faithful until His grace comes on the scene to make room for your human failures. The law, the Old Testament, the law was about perfection. There was no leniency with the law. It is the facts. It is what it is. Sin led to death. Adultery led to stoning. Stealing would cause, would cost a man his hand. Murder would cost a man his life. Every evildoer had a great price to pay. There was no do-overs when man lived under the law. The law said, you must be perfect. Can I stand in this pulpit today to tell you, don't get it wrong when you look on this platform and you see a preacher in a suit and tie that has a nice haircut and works real hard on my smile. Photo moment. Don't get it wrong to believe that this preacher has it all figured out. Don't get it wrong to think that that preacher can do it without the grace of God. Don't ever look around you in this room and think nobody, nobody knows where I've been. 
If I started asking people this morning to stand when I said those of you that God has delivered from alcoholism, why don't I just do it this morning? For those of you that God has delivered from alcoholism, why don't you stand? From those of you, go ahead, just stay on your feet. For those of you that God has delivered from nicotine, I want you to stand to your feet. From those of you that God has delivered from any addiction, I want you to stand to your feet. You're you're in good company this morning. God is saying, I make room for humanity, and I call it grace. I can still use you. I can still anoint you. I can still put you in my perfect plan. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise in the house. For those of you that just stood, the law said that you must be perfect. (laughs) But Hebrews said, there's a better way coming. In that better way, his name was Jesus who comes walking on the scene. And he said, I came to introduce grace unto you because you're never going to be perfect according to the law. But your salvation is going to come through the blood, through the shed blood of Jesus. You can live a life by the grace of God, not in the perfection of humanity, but by the perfection of the blood. Somebody give God a shout of praise. No, we don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace, the unmerited favor of God. It doesn't matter who wants to say that God is looking for your perfection. I want you to know that God is a God of grace. That's why David wrote in Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious. slow to to anger and plenteous in mercy. You know why? Because God would have killed David many, many times if he allowed the law to be the final say in his life. But he stepped through dispensationalism and he said, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show grace to him. I'm going to be slow to anger. At David's worst failure, God showed him grace. He goes on to be called the man after God's own heart. Was it because he was perfect? No. Quite the contrary. It was because because David knew that he needed God's grace. No wonder David said in Psalm 113, Who is like unto our God? No wonder Moses sang, Who is like the Lord? You cannot compare anything to the grace of God. You and I owed a debt that we could not pay and he paid a debt that he did not owe. What is fathomable about grace? Nothing is fathomable about grace. It is incomprehensible that a harlot would find purity at a place of repentance. It is unreasonable that a liar could find truth at the point of the blood. It's illogical to think that a sinner sinner could become righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, oh pastor, if I came to church, the roof may cave in on me. Hey, I come to tell you God's grace is too great for that. (laughs) 
when I was about 18 years old, I was attending a little church in Call, Texas, near Kirbyville, Texas. My brother still attends church there. There was a man came walking in on a Sunday morning. His name was Mr. Lewis. He's dead and gone today. He came into the church. He was drunk when he walked in the door. He didn't smell like the rest of us. He, he I'm not even sure he was in his right mind after his Saturday night party. But he walked in that room and he was so drunk you couldn't even make sense out of the words that he was saying. But they began to sing and the Holy Ghost began to move on him and tears started streaming down his face. By the time we got, by the time we got to the preaching of the word of God, Mr. Lewis came, feeble as he was, wobbled his way down to an altar, fell on his face before the Lord and God sobered him up, filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Mr. Lewis became a testimony to the whole region. People were saved because they said if God can save Mr. Lewis, God can save anybody. I come to tell you today that without the grace of God, whether you are sane or sinner, it requires the same grace. Make room for grace. You're not too bad for grace and you're not too good for grace. We all need his grace. Quickly drawing to a close, Psalm 103, David declares as far as the east is from the west is how far that he removed his transgressions from us. I want you to know today you can find mercy and you can find grace. Won't you just look at your neighbor today and say make room for grace. Mm -hmm. You didn't come today expecting the preacher just to come preach right where you are, but you got to make room for grace. Somebody thought today, well, I'm not so sure if you knew where I had been. That, that preacher wouldn't, wouldn't be, oh, I know where you've been. You've been right where the rest of us have been from time to time in our life. I want somebody to understand that mercy is waiting for you. One, one of the most beautiful word pictures in scriptures comes from the book of Isaiah the first chapter and the 18th verse when the writer says come now and let us reason together saith the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be like wool Perhaps I may know a few that I'm talking to this morning. Your beginning and your failures do not have to determine your destiny. David failed God, committed deliberate sin, attempted to cover it up, committed murder trying to do so. But yet he goes on to find the grace of God in his life and be called a man after God's own heart. God knew him from a lad, had his eye on him when he was but a child. The man of God poured an anointing upon him. Life filled with despair, disappointment. But God's grace, David became one of the most famous kings of Israel. I come this morning to tell you there is 
grace still being offered to you today? If God had not covered you and I with His grace, every one of us would be so overdrawn on our bank account in heaven. We would be so overdrawn that we would have no hope and no chance. That's very true. We owed a debt that we could not pay. But Jesus walks on the scene and paid a debt that he did not owe. So that you and I could walk free without guilt and shame. There was no way out of our sin. But that's when grace found you. When you couldn't find enough to bail you out. That's where grace comes on the scene. We were in debt because of our sin. But along came Jesus. When it comes to righteousness, we're overdrawn. But His grace is sufficient. When it comes to my holiness, there's more required than any of us can ever accomplish in the flesh. We need God's grace. And when we stand before Him on that judgment day and we give an account of our life and we answer for every deed and we stand before the Lord, some are going to stand before Him and say, look at me. I grew up on a church pew. My parents brought me to church from the time I was a child. I preached to thousands. I baptized hundreds and hundreds. Many people came to the Lord because of my ministry. I laid hands on people and they were healed. Don't I deserve a free pass into the great city, the new Jerusalem. The Lord is going to look at me and accept but by grace, accept by His blood, He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Or I can walk before Him and say, God, I can't even stand in Your presence. God, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I preached, but I didn't always do great. I tried to help people, and sometimes I failed. God, my life has been riddled with failures and disappointments. But God, your grace and mercy has brought me to this place. And that's who he's going to say. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Come on and join me. Child of God, guest in the house, online viewer, I feel the drawing of the Spirit of the Lord this morning. He's saying, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, come. Let you who are broken come. Let you who are weary come. Let you who are in need come. Let you who think that you have gone too far come. Let you who are weak come. 
the Spirit's drawing this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is inviting you to come today. I open these altars if that's you today and you know you need the grace and mercy of the Lord. There can be a miracle in the house. God can turn your life around this very moment. God can change you. Look at these that are filling the altar because we know we need His grace and mercy. Step all the way to the front. Let's make room today. There's several that's coming today. Come on, don't be ashamed. Step from where you are. Let the tears flow. Let your heart speak to God this morning. He's calling you today. He's reaching for you today. He's reaching for you today. God sees things in your life that you may never have been able to see in yourself. Come on, let him wash you in his blood this morning. Let his grace and his mercy cover you. Oh, yes. Come on, seek him today with hands lifted high toward heaven. God, I need you. We we need you today. name of Jesus. Come on church, open your mouth, open your heart to the Lord. Cry out to him right now. Don't let this just be a moment. Let this moment pass you by. Go ahead and pour it out to the Lord this morning. Go ahead and reach out to him today. Yes, yes. You can't make worthy. Hallelujah. You wash me in mercy. Oh, I am clean. Oh, nothing too dirty. You can't make worthy. You can't make worthy. Oh, yes. You wash Some of our ministers and elders make your way through the congregation today. Find somebody seeking the Lord. Pray with him this morning. Come on, he's there for you today. He loves you today. He loves you more than life itself. Come on, that's it. You need the Lord today. Come on, everybody praying in the house right now. Come on, let the anointing of the Lord flow through you today. Let the anointing of the Lord flow through you today. Come on, the Spirit of the Lord is here today. His presence is here today. Oh, yes. Come on, reach out to the Lord all over this building. Turn this house into a prayer room right now.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it. Let's seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord a little while today. Seek the Lord for a little while longer working on hearts this morning.
cover you today. Let grace cover you today.